Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Landing America. I'm your host, Vincent Miller, and let's get right into things. Our first story today is going to be talking about AstraZeneca, their vaccine, and actually how it may have international implications now. The U.S. is beginning to stockpile doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine. It is now announced. And you'll note that vaccine is not even approved for United States citizen use by our own regulative agencies, which is interesting. However, you will note importantly, and this is very important, we will talk on this a bit later, it is approved for use in India. Now, that is the country that is the latest to have a massive outbreak, the worst of the worst of any country so far, at least well documented. But it is intended to be sent from the United States to India as sort of a diplomatic and obviously humanitarian aid project that was definitely on the forefront of a lot of people's minds as we move forward in the pandemic. You notice a lot of first world countries starting the developed nations with, you know, very robust medical systems starting to produce and distribute vaccines on a large scale. We're seeing countries like the United States, some of Western Europe, even Russia, Canada, some Latin American countries starting to get a handle on vaccine distribution. However, you'll note that many third world and even some second world countries like India have not. And you'll notice that the sanitary and quite honestly, the population density in a lot of those countries is ridiculously high, which, of course, you would think, logically speaking, could extrapolate into a very large COVID outbreak. And it's surprising we haven't had one so far. Now, you can chalk that up to very well-maintained COVID regulations and rules and a very sanitary society moving forward with their lives during a pandemic, as they should, unlike a lot of countries cough, cough, America, that followed rules that the government sent out and they they quashed the first, second and even third wave. However, we're looking to India now as it seems that is finally caught up to them. Their population density and not necessarily the best hygiene practices, at least in public and public spaces, it is now starting to show. It is becoming very, very apparent that India was not prepared for this wave of COVID and that they are suffering greatly for it. We will talk about this a little bit later, but As it pertains to this story now, the AstraZeneca vaccine is going to be the United States offering, diplomatic and humanitarian offering to India uh, in a hope to quell the virus, which is very important as, of course, one would think that with all the vaccinations going about, it would make us safe regardless of where you are. And if someone from India with COVID came to the United States with such a high vaccination rate, we should be fine. And yes, theoretically, that is true. However, with such a large concentration of COVID patients and in fact, COVID patients spending a lot of time together, there are bound to be mutations that very well could be resistant or even ignore vaccinations that are already distributed and and people that are already vaccinated could be theoretically entirely bypassed in favor for this new variation of COVID that could just absolutely ignore it. And then we could have the COVID crisis all over again. Wouldn't that be fantastic? Now, people are saying that this is a bit of, you know, this is fear mongering, whatever. Regardless of of whether this is proven now, scientists have proved that it could mutate to this extent, especially when, and we'll talk about this later, I apologize for pushing it off for so long, we will talk about COVID in India and the crisis. Truly, the word doesn't even hardly grasp the scope of what it is, the crisis there, because it is horrid. And these AstraZeneca vaccines are finally going to be one of those first world countries giving that humanitarian aid, which is so obviously not happening right now as they need to vaccinate their own populations, though there have been arguments 
One, why is the patent for some of these vaccines being locked up for these companies to make massive profit, especially on an international margin instead of just a national one? Why is this allowed? One. And two, why have they not released the patents to other companies or or even affiliated companies in other countries where they could then distribute them there? It's a little strange, is it not? This very protective and quite honestly, this hoarding of the intellectual property of the vaccine is very anti-humane. It's inhumane by the very definition. It is the active greed overwhelming the need of an entire population on a, a global scale. So a lot of people were calling into question whether these companies, one, should be able to or two, really honestly could be pressured any way to, to not go about it as they are now. And this would be the first instance of a country providing that international aid that these people are clamoring for. And of course, it is mostly on the left side of politics that there is this push for a intellectual dump of this property onto everyone everywhere. And of course, if you look at the maps, if you look at the international favor of should or should they not allow patents on these vaccines, you'll notice it aligns very strongly with what is a first world country and what is not. It's pretty much black and white. And it is, again, another argument for post-colonialism or neo-colonialism, which is very difficult to refute, especially on that basis alone. You start to see a pattern, of course, and it's really this is the first step and it is an important step and as a step that needs to continue. There needs to be another foot put forward. And I think that could be starting a motion to have a more international, dare I say, giveaway. I'm not sure how else to, to describe it. Uh, an international effort to have multiple countries, especially countries with largely vaccinated populations with this industry set up to produce massive amounts of vaccines in a short amount of time to have them produce. And even if it comes down to it, even sell to these other countries who are in desperate need of vaccines, ideally, they would, of course, give them away as humanitarian aid. But we know that's not how the world works most of the time, especially not the United States. So you could see that international appeal. And I think moving forward, all eyes will be on that appeal. I think a lot of people are pushing for this and a lot of a lot of the prominent leftist speakers and even more centrist politicians could be moving towards that sort of idea of international workmanship together and a more just a more humane approach to the whole pandemic, uh, though, of course, that nothing is set in stone and it's certainly all up in the air. We'll see how it goes. Our second story today is going to be about Gavin Newsom, everyone's favorite Californian governor. He, of course, as we previously touched on, is facing recall pressures of recall election, I should say, that could very well be a an indicator that Democrats on a national scale, especially as a very prominent and at least recognizable Democrat on a national scale, could be in trouble. And as we mentioned before, it looked likely. And as of now, it looks almost guaranteed, aside from a judge stepping in to veto it to nullify this ruling. It does look like the over 1.5 million signature push will put the tally over the required minimum as Secretary of State Shirley Weber has indeed at least signaled that this is the case and that there will be a recall election going forward. Of course, it doesn't look like Gavin will lose this election. That's that's really not something that's being contemplated here unless some absolutely unknown Republican with a very appealing I'm not even sure what they would do, but it, it would have to be a truly magnificent candidate. If you ran the rock against him and he ran as an independent, perhaps I could see that unironically here. But for the most part, I think that 
aside from intervention of the court system, there's no way to stop this going forward. And polls do show that the majority of Californians oppose the effort. It's about a 60-40. Again, Democrat-Republican split. Pretty obvious, pretty party lines, pretty partisan, dare I say. And it's just to be expected. There isn't much nuance to this election. There isn't a dark horse running that may win. At least not yet. They haven't presented themselves yet as a a truly viable candidate. It does just seem that this will be a recall election against a bunch of people nobody knows. And it'll be that. I think important to note that Gavin Newsom is not necessarily the most popular governor in the United States. He's very controversial. He's actually not terribly as far as approval rating. However, he does have a disapproval rating matching polar opposite. There, There's no one standing there saying, I don't really feel very strongly about Gavin Newsom. It's either you like him or you don't. Now, I myself am not the biggest fan of Gavin Newsom, though I will admit that he has done a mm, decent job at the, the maybe slightest as far as handling of COVID. I think a lot of things that plague Cuomo plague him. There's a lot of holier than thou. There's a lot of do as I say, not as I do. You can see that he had his, I mean, this is old news by now, but if everybody recalls that Gavin Newsom did enjoy some indoor dining maskless with more than 10 of his friends, which of course breached his own guidelines in the statewide mask mandate and uh, the pandemic's lockdown mandate. This, of course, was famous and, and was a bit of a scandal just because he was breaking his own rules. But is that a shock to anybody? No. Uh, I think the standards we hold our politicians to are drastically low, and I don't think he's sunk quite low enough to put him on anybody's ouchy radar. I think someone like Chris Christie is still far more disliked. I think people even like Chris Cuomo who have genuine sexual assault allegations or at least sexual misconduct allegations upon him. I think those are are far more serious than anything Gavin has. However, uh, he, he's definitely not the most popular governor out there, though. Again, it does show the weakness of a prominent national Democrat who, again, does make the news quite often as the governor of California, a rather large state, you may note. And of course, just California holding its weight in the United States as it does, much like Texas, much like New York. These states really do mean a lot in national politics. So it's just to be expected that he is going to be very polarizing. But it it is definitely something to keep in mind when we see recall elections calling into question his ability to govern. It does cast a dark shadow over the Democrats. It makes them look worse, objectively speaking especially because you can muster these signatures. This isn't one guy suing the government for one reason or another. This is a movement of 1.5 at least million, mostly Republican, though there are independents and some very, very left-leaning Democrats who have signed on to the petition. It does poke holes in his legitimacy. It looks bad, admittedly, and that's just the bottom line. Uh, Though, again, like I said, I don't see this actually doing anything. This isn't going to change anything, and it's really not going to affect him personally. I think his chances for running for president or for a Senate seat or any of those, his options are still open, and I'm sure he will try to do that just based on his political trajectory. He's still quite young. That would make a lot of sense for him. I think that he's he's still got a good chance. This isn't going to be something that they bring up on the campaign trail where they're like, Mr. Newsom, I know you're running for president, but what about that time you got recalled? It's essentially being primaried, though, out of your party. It's not something necessarily he needs to worry about, and it's certainly not something that's going to stain his record any more than it already is. It isn't much to be concerned about for him, though it is notable, and, and it certainly could be if this goes any further than it already has, if the recall 
doesn't show, you know, it's 60% support for Newsom in the final vote, it could definitely show some weakness in national Democrats. And it could definitely sway the minds of voters, which doesn't do a lot, but it certainly could do something. You know, if you sway 10,000 voters in Ohio, that could mean a lot, certainly. So not to diminish the actual effect of this, but I do tend to minimize this as I don't see anything actually coming from it uh, as it stands now. And our final story today, of course, will be the previously mentioned India outbreak, the COVID-19 outbreak in India. It is incredibly serious, and some of the numbers that I've got are quite honestly terrifying. Let's not waste any time here. One, why did it happen? I mean, I think this is somewhat obvious. It is an incredibly densely populated country beyond a lot of... It is incredibly dense. I think countries like Japan do hold a candle to it. But India is known for multiple dense and, and, and very large portions of the country being densely populated, especially with a particularly weak infrastructure because it is a industrializing and growing modern economy that is, yes, very much so industrializing and catching up to the first world. It is certainly a superpower to keep your eyes on on a geopolitical level. However, as far as infrastructure and as far as just very basic sanitary and safety and, and again, circling back to density, these factors play a huge part in why this pandemic and especially this outbreak right now is having such huge success. It, it is absolutely taking off. The general disregard for COVID-19 rules after the first two waves seem to have put the, the country in a pretty relaxed policy position. A lot of the COVID lockdown rules and mask mandates weren't being enforced as strictly as they were originally, especially as a lot of the first world comes out of the pandemic, you know, looking at America, looking at Israel, looking at Western Europe, a lot of these countries are getting incredibly high percentage per capita vaccination rates. These are looking good for them and they're starting to relax some rules because they feel that they can do that. And then other countries see that and say, well, if they can do it, then why can't we? And as is prone to happen, uh, of course, these people are just disregarding these rules. They're just moving forward with their lives and, and they want to be with the rest of the world. And that's just how it's going. However, new numbers just recently this week, a new peak for a daily record of COVID per country uh, rate has been achieved with 350,000 cases in one day. That is an absurd amount. If you note the United States, not even close to a daily rate. We were at, I think, 30 or 20,000 at one point. But again, that it does not hold a candle to the rate there in India, especially right now. The most horrifying thing is it is projected to be two to three weeks out from the peak of that wave and that outbreak specifically. So that is horrifying as it will peak and it will increase. These numbers will increase. Daily numbers will increase. And we're already at capacity. India has already hit its public and private hospital bed capacity. It has actually hit its oxygen capacity. There are horrifying stories of people, not for the weak of heart, there are horrifying stories of people. There are not enough oxygen for not only patients, but doctors as well. There are people being burned, cremated in mass funeral pyres. I mean, these are truly horrifying scenes straight out of what you would expect, a, a pandemic, an uncontrolled pandemic that has a notably slow response from the government. Famously, Modi claimed that India had conquered COVID-19 just a while ago. Of course, those words are coming back to bite him. 
and his government. Of course, he is a, a right wing aligned government who was not a denier of covid, but definitely a minimizer in the same way that Trump was. It's not playing out well for the country, especially to have that leadership in position now, especially with a late response that is, of course, going to be weak willed and absolutely non-sufficient because there is no saving it now. At this point, without divine or international intervention on a scale we haven't seen, there is no stopping this wave. It will go through, it will peak, and then it will go down, of course. But it is a horrifying scene there in India, and it is not something that is to be underestimated because, again, as I noted previously in the first story, there is the threat of mutations. There are already some that they've caught and they've analyzed and they've at least traced from where it came that have presented in India. And the the worry is that multiple strains, multiple new mutations could, again, mutate together and produce some sort of super or or very emboldened COVID-19 strain that could go and bypass vaccinations and could reinfect the world, especially as mask mandate and lockdowns are falling apart because some in negligence and mostly a lot of the first world, of course, because high vaccination rates, people are now expecting to be out of lockdown and be out of the COVID era quite soon. And state and national legislatures are agreeing because that is, of course, in their own vacuum true. So now the worry is the hotbed will be in India for the next month or so. And a lot of those people living in India or even traveling there could get it, take it to other countries and let the spread begin all over again. We would have to remake a vaccine. No, it would not take as long as the first one because it would be a modified version of the original vaccine specifically created to fight this new strain. But again, who knows if we could do it in time, perhaps there'd be another mutation after that. And it would just be an endless stream of COVID-19, which is what nobody wants. So right now, all eyes are on India. All eyes are on the international community to do something to help because this is of paradigm importance. This is horrifying. And it, it is something that needs to be addressed as soon as possible. I'm sure we will see some sort of international reaction. I mean, we're already seeing it with the AstraZeneca vaccines being produced in the United States, but it has to be on a larger scale. As noted, 350,000 in a day is an absurd amount of just human bodies, of human capacity. That's an absurd amount of people. So we're definitely going to see some sort of international reaction. And unfortunately, of course, China and India have very sour international relations. That is not an ally that India can rely on, though, of course, due to its proximity, I'm sure there could be some level of international flare up on the border. Perhaps China will enforce a a no border crossings. I I believe they already have one, though I, I cannot say that for certain, though you could see China arming the border. And of course, India would have to respond and that would look just that it's all a terrible situation of course it's a humanitarian crisis and there needs to be something done and we will see again like i said for the thousandth time we will see a reaction i'm just very curious to see what it might be thank you for listening through to the end we'd really appreciate it if you check us out at aligning america on instagram and twitter and if you really enjoyed it and want more content like this, be sure to head over to our Patreon to ensure we can keep putting out episodes, changing hearts and minds one podcast at a time. Thank you.